Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. I invite you, would, would you turn with me in your Bibles this morning or in your devices to Ephesians? We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, this is my opportunity to get to look at you while you're turning to see people coming in off of March break. I uh, was talking to a few young, young adults this week, well, they weren't adults yet, they were just kids. Asking if they're ready to go back to school. What do you think the answer was? Mm. Then I asked the parents, are you ready for them to go back to school? What do you think the answer was? <laughs> Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. We are in a series called Reignite. We're asking God, reignite a fire in us. Do you need a fire reignited in you? Maybe the embers have gone, the flame's gone down, it's embers, sometimes barely embering. And we just need God light the fire again. Light the fire again. And we're believing that. You know fires just don't ignite by just wishing they would ignite. There has to be often work behind getting that fire relit and burning bright and hot. And I've discovered that's true in our lives. There's something typically that is quenching the fire. We want to deal with that. So we've been just spending some time talking about prayer in, in, in general, but specifically these last couple of weeks, and today no exception. So we picked this up. This is a prime text, Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to go down to verse 15. Follow with me in your Bibles. Paul's... Paul is telling us how he prays. He's letting us in on a, on a prayer of his. And so we're going to parachute into this. Verse 15, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I'm going to pause here. Paul is praying for the believers here. He's specifically praying for his brothers and sisters in faith, followers of Christ. Note that part. He says, since I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, these are followers of Christ. Verse 16, here it is. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead, seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority power, and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God, 
placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Father, I ask, we ask this morning, Lord, you don't want us to communicate aimlessly with you. Communication is so, sometimes it's very, it's very difficult. But God, you've made it very simple with you. You've shown us what your heart desires, what you long for. God, I pray that we would, when we pray, we would pray, not my will, but yours be done, Lord. And you would help us to understand what that will looks like. This morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to take this morning, I want to talk about, last week we talked about how to pray for unsaved loved ones. Today I want to talk, how do we pray for our brothers and sisters in the faith? Now, I don't want to make it so that it's rules and regulation, it's not like a, a, a little ritual you'll have to go through, a religious thing. Because it's really not. You know, somebody could argue and say, well, prayer is just communicating with God. And it is. Prayer is just talking. And it is. It's also listening. It's kind of valuable to have a two-way conversation. And God will speak through his word. And I'm going to even say he speaks even in our times of prayer. I want to talk a little bit about that. But if you are like the average person which I think we're above average for most of us. But if you're like the average, we get into our ruts when it comes to prayer. You know, we go so far and then we, if, if you were to listen to your prayer, and I've done this because often when you pray publicly, you hear yourself and you're going, is that all I have to say? You know, it's just like, I think I keep saying the same things. And... It can get old, it can get stale, and it can deflate you to want to have vitality in your prayer life. Prayer's a real challenge. They say the best-selling Christian books are books on prayer because it's one of the hardest disciplines we have. I want to take this morning seven things from chapter 1 and chapter 2, or chapter 1 and chapter 3, actually, in Ephesians. Seven things how to pray for believers. How do you pray for your brothers and sisters? Some things that Paul uses, and I, I'm, I'm trusting this is going to be revitalizing in your own life. Now, there's a QR code available. You can take the notes. I invite, I invite you to do that, or you can just type them in on your phone or your device, or if you have a photographic memory, just remember. All right? Let's start. Ephesians 1, verse 16 starts us off. Paul starts by giving thanks for them. How do we pray for believers? Give thanks for brothers and sisters in the faith. Start by giving thanks. Thank you, Lord, for... So when you lift up someone, thank you, Lord, for this person. Why should I give thanks for our fellow believers? Well, I'm going to just give two basic reasons. One, God deserves to be praised for his creation. He deserves it. There's, well, I mean, is there anything else we need to add to that? He's deserving of thanksgiving for that person. 
And I'm not just saying that loosely. Last week, I spent some time talking about, and I'm just going to go back to uh, last week. Last week, I talked about how to pray for our unsaved loved ones. Why do we need to say thank you for this person? I'm going to use the name Jack. I hope nobody here. Is anybody here by the name of Jack? Your first name, Jack? Okay, nobody? All right. Um, if you were, you're going to get all kinds of prayer this morning because I'm just using an arbitrary name, Jack. Okay, so you're praying for Jack. And you just, why should I give thanks for Jack? Well, last week we talked about you need to claim your loved ones for God because Jesus put a claim on their life. Jesus, he paid it all for them. He laid his life down. He shed his blood. He suffered and died. He was tormented. He was beaten. He was abused. He was mocked. He was ridiculed. I mean, I couldn't have done it. If I had the power, he did. Well, come on, don't look at me like that. You would have too. You would have just like, how, you know, even the field a little bit if you have all the authority of heaven under you. But Jesus did not consider it robbery to not stay in the place of the throne room. But he humbled himself and became man so that he would suffer as man. And he paid the price. He put a claim down. I said last week, Satan has not done one thing for you. The enemy of your soul, your flesh has not done one thing for you. Jesus paid it all. So why should I thank God for Jack? Well, because, because he did, God did everything for Jack to come into salvation. I mean, when we, we had our seven things, we talked about claiming your loved ones for God, praying a hedge around them so that God would bring protection upon them. I thank God for that hedge he put around that they eventually came to Christ. We said pray in the spirit and then pray in the understanding. Pray in partnership. There's been prayer. There's been a rallying of prayer. There has been concerted effort for Jack to come into the faith. Thank you, God, that people cared enough for Jack to pray for him, to reach out to him. Someone said that, I don't know, they did a study that when a person comes to Christ, there was 5.3 people who influenced that person before they made the decision for Christ. 5.3 influenced them towards, it just wasn't one. It was a number of successive issues that brought them into the faith. And I know that was true for me, and it was probably true for you. Multiple people who were part of the puzzle that brought you to the place where you examined your life before the Lord and surrendered it. Thank God for that, that that came to pass. That's what you're thanking him for. Why does he deserve our thanks? There's all kinds of reasons. We talked last week that we... Pray with fasting when we pray for our unsaved loved ones. Thank God that somebody fasted for maybe you. That somebody fasted for this Jack that you're praying for. That God is at work and that he stirs the hearts deeply to bring that person to salvation. Thank you, Lord, for that. Why do you thank him? Because there was continual, continual reaching out to Jack. That somebody didn't just one time and say, well, now you heard. It's up to you. They continued to love him. They continued to reach out to him. Thank you, Lord. You just never gave up. You kept sending people. You kept sending people. And that their hearts found forgiveness. And in that forgiveness, they have freedom 
in the Lord for healing and, and deliverance and, and fullness. And, and so we come back to that question, why does God deserve thanks? Well, he is the great creator, and Jack is one of his great creations. So thank you, God, for Jack. So give thanks. Start with giving thanks. I find when you give thanks, the second point of that, you can't keep giving thanks and you remain the same. I find that's true with everything. I can't be thankful for something and be critical at the same time. When I am thankful, when my heart begins to overflow with thanksgiving, I find that I really begin to appreciate what it is I'm thankful for. So sometimes you have to step out and start giving thanks before you feel anything. But as you continue to give thanks and then define why you give thanks, you will find that there will be a growing appreciation and love and affection that will be centered towards what you give thanks for. You will change towards Jack. Not only will that take place, you'll discover that as you, your heart is motivated to touch that person's life, your own problems begin to look a lot smaller. And I could certainly have my problems look a whole lot smaller. So, give thanks. Secondly, how do you pray for uns- how do you pray not for unsaved, but how do you pray for fellow believers? Understand the bless. I want to talk about this one. Understand the bless. Um, let's start by saying, let's pretend you're writing a letter to let's you're writing a letter to Jack, and uh, he's a Christian, of course. Um, you're you're writing a letter to Jack, and so what are you going to tell him? Uh, so. Um, I do pray for you, Jack. I'm asking God to bless you richly and to give you guidance. I pray may his blessings be upon you, and you know, and we pray. Now, what does it mean when you say bless? Here's one of the things, and there's meaning behind the word bless. You can, it's one of the words used for eulogy. It means well-wishing, and there's some things, and we can even go to number six, the blessing. You know, may the Lord's face shine upon you, and be with you, and, and we, can, we can use that. But oftentimes, we in the Christian circles, frequently we don't use the word bless unless it's used in a religious verbiage. And I've discovered often bless becomes a little bit of a cop-out to better defining what it is we're trying to pray. God just blessed them and exceedingly blessed them today, but... Well, what does that mean exactly? And so I understand the blessed. That's why I'm putting it down here. What does it mean? Uh, now, it's easy if you know Jack has an incurable disease. You can then pray specifically for the incurable disease. Or if Jack was in an accident, you can pray regarding what happened in the accident. But if you don't know those kinds of details, then it can be difficult for you to know how to pray for Jack. Maybe you're not deeply involved in Jack's life and you just, so we say, bless them. And the word bless gets overused. It's kind of like a Hail Mary. God, do whatever you think best for Jack. You know. So just do it. I've discovered God wants me to actually be specific. Talk about it. And if I don't know, then take the time to ask. So as I'm pondering Jack in prayer, and I don't know what else to pray for, but I know there's more, 
probably a lot more, to take the time, sometimes we're so rushed, but to take the time and ask, Holy Spirit, I don't know what more to pray for, for Jack. Show me, because I want to pray what's on your heart. Instead of just say, bless him, and go on. I want to pray what's on your heart. And then at that moment, whatever you've been studying, reading, or experiencing, can that slide over and can you pray that for Jack? So whatever's on your heart, begin, begin there. You're just being open. You're starting to move towards better understanding on how to pray for Jack. Believing the Holy Spirit's going to show you. Then as you continue to do that, reflect on your association with Jack. So if your association, if you're a co-worker, let's say, and everything you know, maybe you know that Jack is um, in a relationship. So you might want to talk about that that relationship, that God would, however you, God would, uh, would bring uh, an awareness of him in the relationship. Just again, you begin to, out of what you know, begin to speak that in your prayers. Maybe he's got a son, a daughter. Maybe he uh, has been estranged from a relationship. Maybe he's, um, you know, there's something that he's got a sickness of some type that keeps coming back. He's missed a number of days off of work. And so you begin there. And as you begin to go down those roads and begin to pray those things according to what you know God's will is, God, remember you just had prayed God, God, show me how to pray for him. As you begin, God will begin to navigate you. I've discovered that I can't go anywhere unless I slip the car in gear and start going somewhere. If I just sit there in my driveway and never put it in drive, I go nowhere. If I just expect it to automatically begin to maneuver me, I must start in motion. And as I begin in motion, God begins to steer, and that is understanding the bless. So instead of just saying, bless me, and it's okay to say bless, but don't let bless be a cop-out for being specific about the person. Because God does care about your specifics. He will place in your heart because there's something as you communicate it. Remember, there's an agreement that he gives you a license to enter into something spiritual in prayer. And as you speak it, then God begins to do something spiritually in that situation. He's partnered with us. That's why we pray. If that weren't the case and everything was according to the sovereign will of God, we wouldn't need to pray. We just say, God, you just do whatever you're going to do because you're going to do it anyway. But you don't get any of that in the New Testament. He invites us, journey with this. Because you together, you will stand in the gap and pray. The Spirit will work through you. And then heaven will be moved and you will see things happen. So use the bless for the goals that God has for Jack. Okay, so number three. Pray. God smash their distorted values so they may see clearly. Smash their distorted values. I want to pick this up in verse 17, chapter 1. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. I want to focus back, starting in verse 17. Our perspective of life gets so easily distorted. I want to share four things that distort 
because we're praying God smash their distorted values so they might see. So I often will use the, the, the verbiage, God remove the blinders so they can see because there's something they're not seeing. There's things that are pulling their sight away from what they need. God, so, but here, smash the distorted values. Our perspectives are distorted, first of all, by false values. We are surrounded with a lot of things that just really aren't valuable. <laughs> just really aren't valuable. False values. Things that we treasure. That we invest highly in. That we always are upgrading. We're always looking for more. The latest, the best. And uh, boy, we really do this well here in North America for the most part. They say that in North America, we contribute to, I I forget the percentage, but it's a huge percentage of junkyard junk. A lot of other nations, they have very little in their junkyards because they keep using it and reusing it, and, well, they never really had it in the first place. But here we got a lot going to the junk, and it becomes just a part of our value system. We value it. We put a lot of effort. It becomes a treasure. We invest towards it. We put our money towards it, and the kingdom gets lost. I've been reading a book, and it's been stirring my heart. It's called The Hole in Our Gospel. I should have known this was going to stir me right from get-go. You don't put a title, The Hole in Our Gospel, without stirring the pot a bit. This Richard Stearns used to be the CEO or the uh, president of World Vision for the U.S. division. He was, prior to that, very successful. He owned a very lucrative business in uh, household hardware, um, household goods. And he was the CEO of a company, multi-multi-million dollar company, and then a group of people were praying for the president. The founder had stepped down a number of years ago. And somebody went and asked him, why don't you consider? And he, he didn't even support World Vision. He didn't even have a child sponsored. He, you know, he, he wasn't interested. He had all his homes. He had the nicest vehicles. Uh, he was pretty young. I don't know, 40-ish years of age or if, if just over and he, everything was going really well. You know, he grew up poor, and, and he had what he had. He was a Christian. He loved Jesus. But world vision? Uh, no. And anyway, over a period of time, this book, he, he, first half of the book, I'm not done. I'm only halfway. First part of it is just God getting a hold of him, the journey. And here was the issue. He had some major holes in his gospel because his value system, his value system, was out of kilter. He didn't see it at first until God began to reveal his value system was out of line. And as I read through that, his whole, that really defines most. Value systems gets out of line. Things that we are treasuring in in light of eternity, moths and rust will destroy. Um, You know, this building will come down one day, and uh, these seats will disintegrate, and the clothes that we spent so much money in, the shoes, you know, the things we have to have the latest, gone. You see, these aren't eternal. None of it is. thing we drove in on and we drive out with and we go home to and we sleep in won't last. Sometimes it's like going into a motel to stay the night, and yet you go and you 
go to Home Depot and you buy big Chesterfields, big leather recliner, big 85-inch TV, and you could bring it back, and you, you get these the highest quality, thousands of dollars portraits and pictures to put around the walls, and then the next day you're gone. Why would you do that? That's the length of time we're on this earth and the values that we place into the things that we have. Not saying it's wrong, but it's not right. You know, there's, the, the problem is not that God has blessed us. The problem is when there's poor people and we're blessed and we're not doing something about it. That's the problem. You follow? The problem is when you have rich and you have poor and nothing's being done for the poor and the hurting and the wounded and the lost. And yet there's an increase over here. God wants the increase to help this. We tracking with it? And that stirs our heart. That's a hole. That's, that's a mega hole right there. We say, well, I, I don't have much. Well, neither did the widow who put in a couple of coppers. And Jesus said she, she gave more than all these people who brought their bags because she understood what value was. Can I encourage you? God, I pray for my loved ones. Smash their distorted values. The distorted values. Don't smash all their values. The distorted values. False values. Let's, the second one is material prosperity. Prosperity is not how much you own, how much is in your bank account, what you drive. That's not prosperity. I hope we understand that as love of followers of Jesus. Prosperity is how much have I got invested in the king of kings? How much is the kingdom of mine invested in? That's prosperity. Why? Because that lasts. That's long term. Because all the rest is short term. And so, yeah, it's okay to provide education for our children and to, and to have the means by which we live, but not at the expense of what God's got. He's got plans. Material prosperity. God smashed the distorted material prosperity because it screams at us in this world. This is what you must have. You've got to have this. You've got to have that. You've got to have this. I know when Laurie and I, when we used to, have, when we used to be on Rogers, we got rid of that. When we used to be on Rogers, every time an advertisement came on, I was, we were tripping over each other, especially me, to hit the mute. Because I do not want to be propagated with what I have to have. Just really, really irritating. Because it, it goes against what God is trying to do in my heart. I gravitate towards that. I know that that's my flesh. i got to fight that so I don't go there. God, when I pray... Smash their distorted value. Smash that material prospering because that's not prospering. Prospering is the things when you invest in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Third thing is smash their distorted values of false securities. False securities. Sometimes it's our health. Security that I'm healthy. Well, that can quickly get knocked out of lions overnight. It can be gone. Um... Our, our bank account, you know, different things. Here's, you're secure. You're, you're good. Got a good job. You got your family's all intact. Your sound mind. That can change. Boom, boom, boom. So quick. God, because that's a distorted, that's a distortion. False securities. In Christ I live and have my being. And there is my security. God smashed the fourth thing is meaningless pleasures. What brings you pleasure? 
What do you think about when you go to your happy place? And oftentimes it, um, it, it lacks any depth or root. So God smashed meaningless pleasures. You go back and back again. You've, you've been, you know, I think one of the greatest problems is not the bad things you do. It's the okay things you do that keeps you from the best things you should be doing. And when you go to bed at night, you feel, wow, tonight was an empty night. I wasted my time watching that. I wasted my time doing that. I wait, right? Or at the end of the week, you look back, you reflect, you're doing a journal, and, and it's like, hmm. And, it, and it's like you're on a treadmill going nowhere. And so God smashed the distorted values so they can pray for that because God, he longs to do some smashing of distorted values, but he needs us to come into alignment to pray. So, uh, so, so far, we give thanks. Pray that they have a better understanding of the bless. Pray God would smash the distorted values so they may see clearly. Then the next three are mentioned in verses, again, 18 and verse 19. Let me pick this up at 18 again. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparably great power to us or for us who believe that power is the same as the mighty strength. Number four, pray for the hope that lies ahead of them. Oh, we need more hope. You see, Jack has a lot of worries going on in his life. There's anxieties. There's problems he's facing. We all got stuff. There's stuff going on. For instance, maybe a fear of losing his job. It might be the student and their studies. Or I know when I was with the youth last week and just beginning to ask, what are your thoughts when you're done school? And I just wanted to hear, what are your thoughts when you're done school? And just that concern and anxiety of, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. That, that is a part of the hope that lies in front of them. Illnesses that are besetting them. Some parents are sick. Some grandparents are heavy on their heart. An aunt or an uncle on the students. Or maybe in your own life or people around you. Sicknesses. Securities or insecurities. Dangers that you're facing. On and on and on. The Apostle Paul prays that these Christians will recognize the hope of their calling. Hope. The word hope means, in this context, certainty of their calling. God, show them the certainty of the calling. That God, you haven't put them in place without helping them to succeed. They will be successful in your plans for their life. Let them see it, Lord. Let them believe it, Lord. Let their faith rise up to to meet that. Pray that Jack will awaken to the spiritual reality. Pray for the hope that lies ahead of them. Number five, pray that they would know their value before God. The Christian you are praying for is one of God's absolute jewels. He or she is precious to God because God has invested everything in their lives. I mean, he sent his own son for them. We can't say they're not valuable to God. May they begin to appreciate that value. You know, we get out of sorts at times. If, I really believe if we, just, if we really knew or we could even somewhat grasp how much God values us, wouldn't that just change so much? 
Change what purpose gives you when you get up in the morning. It will change the pursuit of your day and the purpose of your life. It will change how you deal with people and problems and solutions to the problems. It will deal with where you plan tomorrow and next week and next month. It will change your relationships with family and on and on and on. It just changes everything. If we could really grasp how much God values us. You see, the enemy of your soul and your flesh will want to place false values there. God does not treasure galaxies. God does not treasure buildings, what you drive. He doesn't treasure paper money or the plastic cards in your wallet. He doesn't treasure any of that. It means nothing to him. How do I know? Just have to read any book of the Bible and you will see. He treasures people. People. Especially those that are redeemed. Rescued from their sins at the price of his son's blood. All that stirs the heart of our father. Who those who've said, I see what you've done for me. Oh God, I want to be in your family. All that stirs his heart deeply. That's where his value is. Pray that Jack senses that from God. Gives you something to pray for, doesn't it? Number six. That Jack would realize the supernatural power at his disposal. And I don't mean for the purpose of power. I mean for the purpose that he is a factor to be dealt with for the kingdom of God. He's not just a little victim of life circumstances. He's the son of the living God. Oh, God, help him to see that because this world will beat him down that he doesn't see it. God, help Jack to see it. You know... My destiny does not get determined by Parliament Hill. My destiny is not determined what takes place in Washington or Moscow. My destiny is determined by God. That's my destiny. All these other things are in his hands. And same with Jack. And we just need God help him to realize his destiny. You know, you watch too much of the news we don't. Actually, we don't watch any news. We just go on, catch the headlines just to make sure we're not amiss from the headlines and from there on. Because the news will dictate to you, you know, being a CNN, you know, follower, faithful will cause a lot of anxiety in your life. Listen, that's not, they do that to sell it to you. That's, that doesn't determine the course of my life. God does. My life is in his hands. And so when you pray for Jack, you're praying for that. Ephesians 1, 19. Let's, let's read this. Ephesians 1, 19. And his incomparably, this is God's, may he know God's incomparably great power for us who believe. Note that power. You must believe it though. You see, if you don't believe it, it's no power. It's like, it's like you got all the power of electricity here. But if you don't plug in, you haven't got any of it. It's ready for you. It's available, but you got to plug in. That they believe, that Jack believes. Here it is. Great power for us who believe. That power, he's going to describe it now. What is that power? That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly realms. All above, all, and then the rest is, is what he's done. 
we would probably say one of the greatest powers is to raise somebody from the dead. One of the greatest powers. And that's what, and he said it's greater than that. Same power, same power for those who believe. So God, I pray for Jack that he would believe that Lord, when he prays, he's tapped into the great almighty one. That Lord, when, when, he, when he goes to work, he's not a victim of, of simply life circumstances and whatever's the most common denominator of the day. God, let him believe that, Lord, greater is he that is in him than he that is in the world. Help him to believe it, Lord. Help him to believe it, Lord. Because the greatest enemy of your faith is your faith, the lack of it. We must believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That he is faithful. I believe it, Lord. Not just in word, not just on Sunday mornings when I lift my hands and I sing the song. But Lord, I believe it. I walk in that belief today. We pray that. Ephesians, let me go to the last point. Chapter 3, verse 16. Go to chapter 3, verse 16. Paul continues, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. You know, blows your mind, right? That it surpasses your knowledge. That you may be filled. You see, if you hold it down to your limited intellectual knowledge, uh, you're going to be limited all the time. Oh, let them know. Just take the lid off it, Lord. Just take the lid off it. How high and wide and long and deep is your love. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Again, just blow your mind. Does mine anyway. Here's my last point. Pray, Holy Spirit, to deepen his work in their lives. Holy Spirit, deepen your work. Deepen your work. Deepen your work. I've got three ways in how I believe he does that. Number one, that Christ would make his home more literally in their hearts. Literally be at home in their hearts. To be at home. Not to knock and visit and say hi. Hi, Sunday morning. Hi, once a week twice a week. Hi. God, deepen it so that he lives there. He lives there. It's his home. My, Jack's life is your home. Secondly, I pray that the Holy Spirit deepen his work in their lives, that they would grasp God's love at a spiritual level, beyond the theological knowledge, at a soul level. Not just, oh yeah, I know, I've read the scripture, I know. But that when you say the name of Jesus, it drips with feeling. It drips with something more than J-E-S-U-S. Jesus. That there's depth, there's meaning, there's a relationship. Something stirs a longing to be back with him again. Oh God, that they would... Grasp your love at a spiritual level and not simply an intellectual level. And thirdly, that they would be filled with your fullness. God wants us filled with his fullness. Filled with his fullness. That the Holy Spirit would reveal the things of Christ more fully. Achieving God's full work in their life. And that they would stop 
quenching and grieving Holy Spirit. Oh, let the fullness come. Now, we know Jack has to embrace it. But what you've done when you, when you go to prayer and pray for your brothers and sisters in the faith, you are setting the stage that the spiritual atmosphere is conducive for God to do these things in their life. Because we know, principality, we don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against principalities and powers and rulers of this dark age. We, that's the battle that takes place. So when you go to prayer, you are pushing back the darkness spiritually so that Jack might have open windows of revelation to know God. And frequently their lives become changed. So let me wrap it up. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back at this time. Give thanks for them. Be, def be definitive on the word bless. Don't just stop at saying bless them. Don't just hail Mary it. Just allow there to be a revelation in how to pray. Thirdly, that God would smash their distorted values. Fourth, pray for the hope that lies ahead of them. Fifth, pray that they understand how valuable they are to God. Number six, that they would come to realize the extent of the supernatural power of God at their disposal. God is at work in them. Oh, God, help them to see it and believe it. And number seven, that the Holy Spirit would deepen his work in their lives through inviting Jesus to be the absolute center. They would grasp God's love beyond the intellectual ability, and they would be filled with the fullness of the Spirit of God. And then I conclude, Paul did. Chapter 3, verse 20, he said, And now to him, God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. Okay, I've got a question for you here this morning. I want you to respond, either lifting your hand or not. How many here do you think you've got a pretty healthy imagination? Lift your hand. You've got a fairly healthy imagination. Okay, I know a number of you. I've heard some of your stories. You've got some good imaginations going on. I do too. He can do immeasurably more than what you can ask or imagine. Start imagining. He's not discouraging your imaginations. Imagine what God might do in his life, her life. He can do immeasurably more. He longs to. According to his power that is at work in God. According to the power that is at work in God. Is that what it says? Oh, I thought somebody was talking to me back there. I was going to say, yes, Lord. Okay, I, I don't want we to miss that part there. He will do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Okay, according to his power that is at work in God. Is that what it says? No. The power that's at work, where is it? It's in you. Do you see that? He will do immeasurably more according to his power at work in the pastor. No, it's not the pastor going to do it for you. It's his spirit. His Holy Spirit that lives in you. Your follower of Jesus, his Holy Spirit. According to his power that is at work in you, to him be the glory. He will do it not for your glory, <laughs> for his glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever. Whenever anything's repeated in Scripture, it means you can just keep repeating it forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Like we always have time ends to things. Start in the beginning. 
again, we can't grasp things that never end, but forever. Immeasurably more than you can imagine, ask the power at work in you. What's that power? Holy Spirit waiting to flow through for all generations. We often don't see results because we often don't. You receive not because you ask not. So we're going to pray for our fellow believers. We're going to pray for our brothers and sisters, those in the faith. We're going to stand and I just pray it will stir your hearts. You apply a number of these seven things in your prayer life. Give God some time. Don't rush that. You mean that, that those are not one or two minute prayers, are they? And you aren't going to cover everybody. You might have to rotate the persons throughout the week. But it'll happen. You'll see effectiveness take place. And you'll see a change in your own life. So, Father, Lord, we worship you today. We worship that all glory. Lord, as Paul said, for every generation, for every generation, may you receive the glory in your church. It's your church, Lord. You receive the glory in your church forever. God, for us and the next and the next, as long as you tarry, as long as you tarry, we believe, we believe that you are at work. Lord, I pray that as we gather around your table this morning, oh God, we do so as brothers and sisters. We do so as an act of communion, communion one with another and communion with you. That your spirit's at work in your sons and your daughters. So be glorified this day. Be magnified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.